eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to let you remain seated this morning. The portion of Scripture is a little longer than normal, and we'll have you turn, or you can use the notes there. Hopefully you received a copy of the outline there in the bulletin this morning, and you could follow the outline to the message as we go through this passage this morning in Acts chapter number 9. And I was thinking about Friend Day, and again, I am so glad to see you here this morning. I've met many that are visiting with us. And uh, you say, now, Pastor, you're going to remember all these names. Probably not. But I will tell you this, I'm going to do the best I can. And I promise you this, if you come back, I'll get to know you even better. Uh, As you are here this morning, I want you to know that our church is a Bible church. We're a Bible-believing church. And we not only have this service at 1030, which we call our worship service, But we also just had, right before this service, our Sunday school hour. It's a time of teaching, and I've been going through here in the auditorium with the adults on the life of Peter. It's really a a series on the education of a disciple, that if we have come to know the Lord as our Savior, that there's a growth that should take place. The Bible uses the word sanctification, and it's, it's God has saved us, set us apart for a reason. And I would encourage you to come back next Sunday at 9.30 for that time of teaching of the Word of God. And I believe that you'll be enriched by the Word of God. And of course, we have our morning service. And we also have church on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. It's a different service than we're having right now, a totally different message, different songs. And on Sunday evenings, I've been going through a series uh, from the Word of God on uh, lessons about the church. And tonight, the the series uh, goes to a portion in the Word of God in the book of Philippians about how that we are to be a church that is a praying church. And some of the things that come out of uh, the results of a prayer life and what happens in and through the church. And if you want to come tonight and, and hear about what God's intention is for us as a church, as a body of believers, I want to invite you back at 6 o'clock tonight for that. And then our Wednesday night, we call that our midweek service. You say, boy, you folks come to church a lot. We need it. And on Wednesday night, it's a time to encourage us because every day during the week, the job and life and everything pulls at us. And so God, I've always wanted to do it. I started about five weeks ago a a series on Wednesday nights on what I call sacred songs. There's a book in our Bible in the Old Testament called the book of Psalms. And the word psalm means songs. And I'm just walking through those psalms, and I'm finding that they're so applicable for so many things we deal with in our own lives. And I want to encourage you, if you can, to come Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. And I will tell you that each one of our services, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we we have something for the children in every one of those services. So you have children Come and enjoy it as an adult, and there will be something of substance for your children to learn from the Word of God on their level also. So I wanted you to know that there's a lot going on here at our church, and God is blessing. Our church is not a new church. People say, oh, you're the new church cross town. Well, we may be the new church, but we've been around for 68 years. God has been blessing. We started in North Miami years and years ago. And we are excited about what God's doing as we're getting close to entering our 69th year of ministry. And we want to we invite you, if you're looking for a church home, 
think about, pray about making Bible Baptist Church your church home. We can talk with you about that if you're interested in how you can make that possible. Well, this morning, we're going to look at Acts chapter number 9, beginning in verse number 10, and we'll read down through quite a few verses. And if you want to follow along there this morning, the Bible says, There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord in a vision said, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man, how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound under the chief priest? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that, many days were fulfilled. The Jews took counsel to kill him, but their lying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by, uh, uh, by the wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. You look at this portion of scripture and you think about this man that we know that the Bible identifies as Saul. It's evident that Saul was a man that probably did not have a lot of friends. As you look this morning and you saw in the word of God, 
There's a good reason that Saul probably did not have a lot of friends because no one really wanted to be around him because they were scared to death of him. You see, this man, at this point in his life, was standing against everything that the, the Lord was about. He wanted nothing to do with church, God, the Bible, and anyone that believed any of those things. And this was a man that, again, a lot of people did the best they could to avoid. Can I tell you, life is too short to go through it without friends. We all need friends. I was reading an account of two boys who had collected a bucket of nuts beneath a big tree that was actually a tree that was located inside of a cemetery on the outskirts of the town that they lived in. When the boy's bucket was filled with those nuts, they sat down out of sight to divide the spoils. One boy said, one for you, one for me. One for you, one for me. And the other one watched intently to make sure that it really was one for you and one for me. Their bucket was so full that some of the nuts had spilled out and rolled downhill toward the fence. It was dusk, and another boy came riding along on his bicycle. As he passed by this very spot, he heard voices coming from inside the cemetery. He slowed down to investigate. Sure enough, he heard, one for you, one for me. One for you, one for me. The boy with the bike knew what was happening. And his face was ghostly white. Oh my, he shuddered. It's Satan and the Lord dividing souls at the cemetery. <laughs> he jumped on his bike as fast as he could. And he rode off desperately looking for a friend. Just around the corner, he ran into an old scowling man who hobbled along with a cane. The boy said to the old man, come with me quick. You won't believe what I, what I heard. Satan and the Lord are down at the cemetery dividing up the souls. The boy just kept insisting and the, the man said, beat it, kid. He says, can't you see it's hard for me to walk? But the boy just kept insisting. So the old man followed him on his bike as he hobbled to the cemetery. And when they arrived at the fence, they heard, one for you, one for me, one for you. One for me. Ready to have a little fun, the old man whispered to the boy. He says, boy, he says, you've been telling me the truth. Let's go inside and see the devil himself. The child was horrified as the old man was, his, was on his way toward the gate when all of a sudden they heard, okay, that's the last of them. That's all. Now let's go down and get those two nuts at the fence. They say that that old man beat that young boy on his bicycle back to town. And they say that the one thing he was looking for was a friend. He was looking for a friend. Some people are desperately looking for friendship. At times, I think life can shake us to our core. And it's during those times that life seems to shake us that we need someone we can turn to, someone that we can call our friend. And in this passage today, as we read, 
It's evident that in a period of just three days that Saul became one of the loneliest people that had ever been on this earth. Saul was a man that had no friends and he was probably begging God at this time in his life like that old man running from the cemetery. He was begging God for a friend. Saul must have been physically spent as he had made his way a six-day journey to a city known as Damascus. His whole intent, as we read, was to go there to find men and women who loved God. Men and women who wanted to know more about God. And he was probably spent, as he traveled 120 miles on the dusty roads of that day, and uh, no doubt that as he got there, the city is coming into view that this incident happened where the Bible records that there was a light. And all of a sudden, Saul's eyesight was taken from him. Now everything was darkness. The only thing that he had was just the touch and the hearing, that sense in his life that, listen, honestly, we take for granted is our eyesight. See, with one deafening statement from heaven, Saul discovered that everything that he believed in life was false. Now, can I tell you that as we study the word of God this morning, Jesus was not his enemy. Jesus is the Lord. And Jesus was going to deal with this man. I know that sometimes it's not comfortable when God deals with us. But I've always found that I'm better when and after God deals with me than to have God not deal with me at all. God was going to deal with this man Saul and in the darkness Saul must have been like so many that were living the life that he was living that he probably was expecting the axe to come down, the judgment of God on his life for all that he had been doing. Would he be allowed to live? As those three days came into his life, there was loneliness, grief. Despair became his roommate. In his loneliness, God was about to reveal something that Saul would have never expected. The power of friends friends. It would have, if you would ask Saul, what's the one thing that you think you will find when you get to Damascus? He would have told you, I'm going to find people that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But what he found was he found two of the best friends that he would have ever been able to have in his life. You see, the first one was the man known as the man by the name of Ananias. It's interesting that God actually commanded Ananias to go to Saul. God didn't ask him. He commanded him to go to Saul. And although Ananias was frightened at the command, Ananias obeyed. He had reservations. But Ananias really became Saul's first friend that he found in his new family of faith. The second one of those friends was the man that we'll look at this morning is the man by the name of Barnabas. Now, Barnabas was one that became an advocate for Saul as Saul began his new life in the Lord. 
If it had not been for Barnabas, Saul would have not even had an opportunity to meet those disciples, the apostles, who were frightened to death about him. Saul never got over, I don't think, what these two friends meant to him. How influential they were in his life. You see, as friends, Ananias, Barnabas, Saul, were about to change the world. The world would never be the same because of these friends. It's impossible to underestimate the power of a friend. And as we look this morning at these irreplaceable friends, I think we can learn some characteristics of what a friend is really like. And I want you to notice, first of all, this morning, what I would call the undertaking tendency of a friend. The undertaking tendency of a friend. We're talking here about the power of acceptance. Everyone wants to be accepted. Everyone wants to feel accepted. The best friends of our lives are the ones, somebody said, that find a way to be with you even during tough times. Even during those difficult days, friends are ones that drive hundreds of miles to be with you. They are the ones that would jump on an airplane and stand by your side. They're the ones that would cancel an appointment just to be there with you. Faithful friends don't stop with a phone call or a letter or an email. They find a way to be there with you. They find a way to be there for you. There was a young boy and he was sent to the corner store by his mother. And his mom asked him to go buy a loaf of bread from the corner store. And so he was gone and gone and gone. He was gone much longer than it took to buy a loaf of bread. And his mother was wondering what was taking him so long. And finally, when he returned, his mother says, where have you been? I've been worried, sick about you. And the boy answered, he says, well, mom, there was a little boy by the side of the road and his bicycle was broken and he was sitting there crying. So I stopped to help him. His mom looked at her son and she says, I didn't know you knew anything about fixing bicycles. And the little boy looked at his mom and he says, I don't. He said, I just stayed there and cried with him. <laughs> See, a faithful friend simply ignores their own needs in order to help a friend. In Ananias' case, Ananias ignored uh, his own fears and God asked him to befriend, listen, not to befriend just someone. God asked Ananias to befriend an enemy. That's what Saul was. He was not a friend. He was an enemy. Look what the Bible says in Acts 8 and verse 3 about Saul. He made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to the Holiday Inn. Now, if you look at that verse, it says the prison, folks. This man was doing everything he could to take men and women who were believers in Christ and to cast them into prison. Luke 6, 27, the Bible says, Love your enemies, do good to them which hate you. I wonder how many of us would sign up for that one. But they're my enemy. Do good to them, they hate me. But the Bible says, 
We are to love them. Luke 6.35, love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Folks, you know, look, when we are kind even to an enemy, when we love our enemies, the ones that hate us, you know who we're being like? Jesus. We're being just like the Lord. You see, when I think about Ananias here, it's easy for us to see. Because no doubt Ananias, like all of us, had family of his own. He had friends of his own. He's probably thinking, Lord, I don't need a new friend. I don't think I need this guy in my life. He was doing everything he could to rationalize why he didn't need to go talk to this man. And the Bible even says, Lord, I, we've heard about this man. I mean, it's no secret why he's here. Uh, Ananias lived in Damascus, and maybe they had the Damascus newspaper. Because back then, it would have been a wonderful thing to live without Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Hallelujah, Jehovah Jireh, let's blow it all up and go back the way things used to be. But nonetheless, word got out. Ananias and everyone in Damascus heard about this man. You know why? Because bad news seems to travel faster than good news. They had heard about this man. And they knew that he was a radical that was on his way to Damascus. And it was to this man, Ananias... That the Lord said to him, Ananias, I know you have family and I know you have a friend, but I have a new friend for you. And Ananias is thinking, Lord, I, I, I don't know about this. I, I, I'm just not sure about this. But I love what Ananias' answer was. And by the way, this should be your answer when God's speaking to you about something. Even if it's loving your enemies, Ananias' answer was, yes, Lord. If that's what you want me to do, if I need a new friend, then I'll do it. Before he even knew the details, before he even knew the question, Ananias gave the correct answer. He was willing, listen, to be a friend to an enemy despite the fears that he had. That's why I think that it was the undertaking tendency of a friend to go beyond ourselves and try to be a friend of someone else. But notice, secondly, I see the uplifting touch of a friend. The uplifting touch of a friend. This illustrates the power of a gentle touch. The power of a gentle touch. See, most every culture has some sort of way in their greeting to touch people. Sometimes it's a hug, a handshake, a kiss on the cheek, or in some cultures, a kiss on both cheeks. Now, that's about where I draw the line <laughs> when it comes to me and another man because I don't want to get too kissy-kissy with anybody. <laughs> Before I moved here to South Florida, I'm a Midwest boy, and most churches I went to, I mean, we went to church, and we kept a good distance between us and the person next to us, and we just waved from a distance, love you, how you doing, things like that. I moved here to South Florida, and I'm going to be honest with you, at first, I was like, what in the world did God put me in? 
I love our church. I've never been a part of a hugging church. Now, I, I, I don't go around. I mean, sometimes people do this and they get carried away with it. But the truth is, is I, I love to see our folks come. I was out in the foyer this morning. People walk around handshaking, hugging, high-fiving. All, you know, here, wait, I can't do it. I got a donut in my hand. You know, all these types of things. But there's something about a gentle touch. The Bible says, greet one another with a holy kiss. The touch can show sympathy, friendship, trust. Saul was come to Damascus. Now listen, he came there to touch them, to bind their hands, and to cast them into prison. But those very same hands that Ananias, that, that, that Saul came to bind, Ananias used those hands to gently touch Saul. God told Ananias, I want you to go and put your hands on him. And Ananias, no doubt, as he, as he saw Saul there, and I think it was all the Lord's doing that he took his eyesight so he couldn't see Ananias coming. And he put his hands on him. I'm sure those hands were trembling hands. People see me sometimes and they see me shaking and they're like, Pastor, are you okay? You know, sometimes my hand's going like that. I've, I've shook since I was like 16. It nerves run in the family and sometimes it gets worse than other times, but nonetheless, I think to myself, Ananias was probably scared to death to put his hands on Saul. You see, a kind touch, a kind touch is extended from the hunted to the hunter. This man was after his life, and before Ananias arrived, Saul probably because of three days, no eyesight. I don't know if anybody was really waiting on him hand and foot. I don't know if anybody was supplying food and drink for him. But after three days, the first thing that I know Saul never forgot was that touch. Someone came up and touched me. Michelangelo said to touch can be to give life. The men that came with Saul, and you can read in the passage yourself that when the eyesight was taken from Saul, that nobody really understood what was going on. They, 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 they couldn't get an answer from Saul what had happened in his life, but Saul was blind. He was frightened and he was depressed because he really didn't know what was going on. And at this time, the solution for Saul's problem was he needed a friend. Maybe that's the solution for your life today. Maybe you need a friend. I'm sure thankful for the friends that God's placed in my life. But before Saul ever heard a word, he felt a gentle touch. That touch said to him, it's going to be okay. You're going to be all right. You see, a friend knows how to hold someone when they're hurting and how to communicate love with touch and to restore confidence in that person's heart. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 17, Whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? A friend doesn't underestimate the power of a gentle touch. But I want you to see a third thing about friends, because I see the upholding 
talk of a friend. The upholding talk. It was the power of saying the right things, the right words at the right time. A, a right word spoken at exactly the right time. Look, at, look in verse number 17 again. The Bible says Ananias went his way and he entered into the house and putting his hands on him, listen to these words, brother Saul. He didn't just say Saul, he said brother Saul. Now around here, we who have been saved by the grace of God, according to the Bible, we've become sons of God. And because we are sons of God, and God is our Father, we are His children. So you know what that makes somebody else that's saved and I'm saved? They're my brother or sister in Christ. And so a lot of times we see people come in and we're like, hey brother. And I often think to myself, because I can remember back when I wasn't saved, people who walk in that don't know Christ, hear everybody going, hey brother, hey brother, hey brother, hey brother, hey brother, hey brother. They're like, wow, this is a big family. I'd like to meet the mom that had all these kids, you know. But I'm going to tell you, those are some of the sweetest words. You know, we have one of, one of the guys, he's, they haven't been here for a while because they've been trying to get some health needs taken care of. And Brother Peter Dakers, and he's a sweet man. He's got a, such a sweet spirit. He's, he's, God, his, his eyesight's leaving him. Pray for Peter. Pray for Claudia. She's been trying to get some treatments, and she's not been able to get them because of her condition. And uh, they should hopefully be back soon. But Brother Peter always puts his arm around me, and if he hears somebody else around, he'll say, hey, this is my brother from another mother. <laughs> We're brothers in Christ. Isn't it interesting that before Jesus came into Saul's life, there was no relationship between Ananias and Saul. But after Jesus came into his heart, Ananias went to him and said, Hey, brother, you're my brother now. Ananias didn't understand it all. He knew what everybody had been saying about this man, but Ananias called him brother. I mean, imagine what that meant to Saul as he sat there in the darkness for three days, the Bible says pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Thy words have upholden him that was falling, and thou hast strengthened the feeble needs. Folks, kind words are some of the most precious gifts that you can give to someone. Over the next several days, those words that Ananias had for Saul they encouraged Saul. They, as, as Ananias began to take him and introduce him to other folks, the Bible says, Beloved, if God so loved us, so ought we to love one another. That's what Ananias was doing. Ananias realized, God saved me. God loves me. And if God loves me, then I should love everyone else. And I should love Saul, even though he was my enemy. But listen, it's even better to love him now because now he's not my enemy. He's my brother. He was a friend to Saul. You see, Damascus turned out to be a place of friends for Saul. Charlie Brown one day said, I don't have time to worry about who doesn't like me. I'm too busy loving the people who love me. That's the way we need to live our lives, with an upholding talk as a friend. 
But notice the last characteristic of a friend is this. I see the unwavering teamwork of a friend. The unwavering teamwork. You see, this illustrates the power of steadfast support. Aren't you glad for those friends that when things start to happen in your life, they don't run, they stay there with you, they support you? I was reading in this true illustration back in 1967, there was a man by the name of Stu Weber, he was in the U.S. Army, he was in the Ranger School at Fort Benning, Georgia, and it was a brutal, brutal training course and a time of training, and his drill sergeant was one of those sergeants that kind of barked out at the recruits. He was trying to prepare them because there was a time of war coming. And he, he told the young men, that he says, listen, I know you're heading for combat. But he says, when I'm finished with you, you will be the best the U.S. Army has. He says, you will survive even in combat. And you will accomplish your mission. Now, before he dismissed the formation. This rough sergeant gave Weber and his fellow recruits their first assignment. And so here's Weber and these uh, recruits, and they're thinking to themselves, uh, what's it going to be? What's this man going to give us? Maybe a 10-mile run with all of our gear? Maybe he's going to have us repel off the side of a steep cliff? Uh, maybe it was going to be uh, something more difficult than that, but they thought to themselves, what's this guy's first tough order for us going to be? True story, here's what he said. Find yourself a ranger buddy. Find yourself a ranger buddy. He says you will stick together, you will never leave each other, you will encourage each other, and as necessary, you will carry each other. You see, it was the Army's way of saying difficult assignments require friends. Together is better. The Bible says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. During the first week after Saul's eyesight returned, Saul's spiritual training camp is when Saul met his spiritual ranger buddy whose name was Barnabas. God brought Barnabas into his life. The Bible says that he was Barnabas. His, nun, his name meant the son of consolation. The son of consolation. When Saul left Damascus, that city, the Bible records that he walked to Jerusalem. And as he walked, that was a long journey. And all that way, he was learning from many people, many of those Christians who had walked with Jesus. And they told him how the Lord had changed their life. And as uh, they returned to Jerusalem, he wanted to meet some of the men who had spent time walking with the Lord. And he had a lot of questions. I mean, can you imagine going from this side of, of against Christianity to being a child of God? And Saul probably had a lot of things that he wanted to ask. But here's the thing is, every time he got close to one of these individuals and tracking someone down, he'd go to the house where somebody said they lived and what he would find is an empty house. Everywhere he went, nobody wanted to talk to him. No one would hold out their hand in friendship towards him. You say, why was that? Well, the Bible records in verse 26 of Acts 9, when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. 
In other words, a lot of them were probably thinking, wait a minute, we know about this man. We know what his life is about. He wants to destroy Christians and Christianity. He wants to wipe out God and the word of God. And guess what? We're not buying that one. We're not going to swallow that one. We know that he's just saying that he got saved so that he could infiltrate us. I remember years ago when I got, uh, the Lord was dealing with me about my salvation. I was raised, I knew all about God, but I didn't know him. He wasn't my Lord and Savior. God providentially brought a young lady into my life and we began to work together, we began to talk together, we began to have a lot of discussions. And what was amazing was, looking back on it, was here's a young lady working in a, a secular job who could have just been like all the rest of the people that I work with, but she chose day in and day out, week in and week out, to talk to me about the Lord. We had a lot of discussions about the Lord. And as time went on, I, I became more and more fond of her. And, and the truth was, I was only interested in her, and I wasn't interested in the Lord. I was like any red-blooded American. But as time went on, my fondness grew to love. I started going to church with her. Matter of fact, I attended church for three years with her. Three years. As an unbeliever, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I wasn't a one-time-a-week person, but I wasn't saved. I kept going, I kept hearing about God. Do you know being in church does not guarantee you're going to heaven? Being a good person does not guarantee that you'll go to heaven. Knowing about God doesn't mean you're going to go to heaven. We had all these conversations, and to fast forward, I, after three years, God finally got through my thick head and my hard heart, and I trusted Christ as my Savior. When that happened, we hadn't really talked about this, but when that happened, one of the very first, I can't say the first, but one of the very first thoughts that crossed my mind was, hey, we can get married now. I don't know how that came into my mind, but that was one of my first thoughts. We can get married now. Even as an unsaved person, I understood that the scriptures say that we are to be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And when I got saved, I thought, we can get married now because she's a believer, I'm a believer. And I saw a green light all the way. <laughs> but there was a stop sign. You know, it was kind of like one of these stop lights here in South Florida, 50 minutes long. That's what it was. It was her father. I went to her dad, and I thought, I'm going to do the, the thing to do. I'm going to ask him for his daughter's hand in marriage. By the way, I still believe in that right as a father. And I went to him, and I said, I'd like to ask for your daughter's hand. And I expected to hear, absolutely. <laughs> and here's what my father-in-law said. I'll let you know in three days. <laughs> I said, what? 
said, I'll let you know in three days. I said, wait a minute. You mean it's going to take you three days to say yes? And he said, I'll let you know. I walked away so resentful. I was hurt. How dare they? I mean, I'm trying to take what's a burden off of him. Now, she's not a burden to me. You know, I was kind of like the servant in the Old Testament. I was there every day. As a matter of fact, I sat in the way. So like if he had to get up to go get a glass of iced tea, I, he had to like step over me. I thought he's going to cave. He's going to give in. He's going to, you know, no, not this guy. He's going to make me sweat it out for three full days. And you know, at the end of three days, he still didn't say anything. And so I did the manly thing. I looked at her and said, I don't think it's your turn. <laughs> you can ask her. And she, you know, she's 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 the wonderful daughter, you know, and she went to her dad and she says, Dad, I'm standing right next to her, you know, the, the big man, I'm standing right next to her. She says, Dad, it's been three days. And he goes, Three days for what? She goes, Dad, come on. She goes, You know what I'm talking about. And he said, I'll let you get married on one condition. And I said, you mean? I mean, I was ready to name my first child after him. <laughs> I said, you name it. He said, here's the condition. You wait a year. Now, we had been dating for four. And I said, I'll tell you what. I, this is how confident I was. I said, no problem. I said, we already set the date. And we did. We had already talked about the date, and it was like 14 months from that day we were talking about. And we told him. And he goes, okay. He goes, if you, if you can wait till then, he says, you can marry my daughter. Now, why did he put me through that? I'm, to be honest with you, when he did, it didn't really set high in my book. I, I thought, and if I'm going to have to deal with this guy the rest of my life, I'm not going to be a happy guy. <laughs> I mean, I've always heard about mother-in-laws, not father-in-laws. <laughs> But I'm going to have to start looking up some father-in-law jokes. because. <laughs> but you know what he was doing? He was waiting to see if I really did get saved. If there was proof. Because the Bible says, by their fruits, ye shall know them. See, a lot of people say they're a Christian. But their life doesn't match their testimony. And that's, can you blame the disciples? I mean, they're thinking, yeah, we, we know he said he's a Christian, but we don't really believe it. That's what the Bible says. They were, they were hiding from him. They, they heard he became a believer, but they were still terrified at him. And at this point, you know what Saul needed? He needed a friend. Someone to stand with him, somebody to be there, then, you know, and the truth was, because of God's working here providentially, Saul didn't have to look that far. Look what the Bible says in Acts 9 and verse 27. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. 
and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he preached boldly in Damascus in the name of Jesus and he was with them coming in and going out of Jerusalem. A friend stands with you and stands up for you and doesn't waver in your support. That's what Barnabas was. Barnabas' friendship wasn't short term. It was something that he was in it for the long haul. After meeting the disciples, listen, Saul, who God was dealing with him and God was working in his life, Saul took some time to think about, to pray about, to study the word of God. Can you imagine this man, Saul, he knew the Bible. He knew the Old Testament like the back of his hand better than most of us today know the word of God. And Saul began to study this out because everything that he believed when he came to know Christ, everything he believed was false. And so he took time for reflection. The Bible says in Galatians 1, Neither went I to Jerusalem, this is his testimony, to them which were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. After uh, three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. I mean, the church began to wonder about this new convert, this passionate convert named Saul. And it was at that time that God sent a friend to find Saul. Look at Acts 11. Then departed Barnabas. There he is, the son of consolation. Where did he go? He went to Tarsus because it was Saul of Tarsus. He went to his hometown. And the Bible says he went to seek him. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So here's what we find is Barnabas was that friend. He stayed with Saul for that entire year and they started churches they became missionaries together they were doing the work of God I mean they they right in the midst of even a disagreement they continued to do the work of God Barnabas was the kind of friend that Saul needed and he's the kind of friend that we all need someone that will stay with you look at this passage in the Old Testament 2 Kings 2 2 Elijah the great prophet said unto Elisha Terry here, and I, for I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as my soul liveth, I will not leaveth thee. I'm not going anywhere. I'm your friend. I'm going to stay here. And the world, listen, when Saul got saved, the world changed. It all changed because of these two friends, Ananias and Barnabas, the life of this man, Saul, it was changed for all of eternity because of his two friends. The ministry of Paul, listen, you think about most of what we read in our New Testament of our Bible, God used this man, Saul, to record the words of God in 13 books of the New Testament of the Bible you hold in your hand today, all because of the impact of a friend on his life. How many millions of people, that includes everyone in this auditorium, including this pastor, our lives have been changed forever because of the words that this man Saul, who became Paul, wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. See, we've all been changed by those words, all because of the friends that the Lord puts in our lives. Recently, we had an opportunity to say goodbye to one of our friends. We had an opportunity to spend 
many years here at Bible Baptist Church with the man that you're looking at on the screen who we know as Brother Richie. Brother Richie Pistoia. Brother Richie loved life. He loved the Lord. He was a man that wanted to be a friend to everyone that he came into contact with. And just like all of us, Richie had a lot of friends. Richie made a lot of mistakes in his life. He uh, did things that, honestly, he regretted. But one of the things in Richie's life was that God allowed him to become a husband and later a father. And you see the picture there of he and his son, and his son's name is Richie. Richie Sr., Richie Jr. His son recently was here when we had his father's uh, memorial service. And the one thing that Richie always wanted to make sure was that his family and friends knew the Lord as their Savior. Richie's son lives in New York, which is where Richie was from. And Richie many times would talk to his son on the phone. He recently got to go, the picture there, of his son's wedding. His son's a newlywed, just found out that they're expecting their first child found that out the day after God called Richie home to heaven. As Richie was here, I talked to his son, and we tried to do everything we could as a church, and I believe God blessed and honored the time that we remembered our dear friend. By the way, we'll see him again someday in heaven. It's just for a time. But I know that the one thing that Richie wanted more than anything else is that his son, Richie Jr., would go to heaven someday. Somebody said, and I don't know if you noticed it on the sign out there, but a friend, friends don't let friends die without Jesus. Richie was trying to be that kind of friend to his, to his son. You see, I think about Saul's life. <clears throat> Saul had a great friend in Ananias. He had a great friend in Barnabas. But the greatest friend that Saul ever had was Jesus. Jesus wants to be the greatest friend that you have. We read the verse this morning, greater, hath no man, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. That's what Jesus did for us. That while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. Listen, if he tells us to love our enemies, don't you think that he loves his enemies too? He came into a world that was hostile towards him. That cried out, crucify him. And yet this was the man that came to save them from their sins. The Bible says, hereby perceive we the love of God, that he laid down his life. The good shepherd giveth his life <clears throat> for the sheep. What a friend we have in Jesus. <clears throat> All our sins and griefs to bear. We had the memorial service on Sunday, a week ago today. I was sitting in my office and my phone was laying there on the desk and I heard it beep. I looked over 
and it was a message, and I had to look at it twice because when I put in the contact information, I put it in as Richie Pistoia Jr. But when I looked at it, I didn't see the junior. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> but I saw it was a text from his son. And I looked at the text, and here's what I saw, because he contacted me, and he says that he wanted to tell me and the church I know that Jesus truly made all the difference for my father. I know he's in a better place now. And I want to tell you that I have decided to become a believer in Jesus also. Amen. I think we ought to give him a round of applause for that. I thought about that. And I can't hardly say enough words, folks. That's a real friend. I know he's his son. But if you knew Richie like I knew Richie, it could have been his enemy. And he would have still had a desire to see that person spend eternity in heaven somewhere. That's what Richie spent his days doing before God called him home was telling people about Jesus. And here's the best part. Richie said, I now am looking forward to being with my father again someday in heaven. The Bible says, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? No one moving around. I'll just ask you to stay still for just another couple minutes and we'll be done. I want to thank so many of you that came, that were invited. It's never our intention to, to impose, to cause somebody to, to, to have any kind of doubts. But I really believe that the Lord brought you here today and God used a friend to do that. I don't know if you attend another church. Some of you may attend another church faithfully. And you came today to be with your friends. Some of you may not have a church home. But I will tell you this. Your friend that invited you and the friend that I know by the name of Jesus wants to make sure that you, like Richie, will have a home in heaven someday. You say, how do I do that, Pastor? How can, I, how can I know for sure? And the Bible says, these things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. And it's as simple as this. You must, first of all, acknowledge that you're a sinner. Have you ever done anything wrong in your life? Because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, every one of us, because of our nature, we're all sinners. And the Bible says the wages of sin, the payment of sin, is death. But I'm glad that there's the second part of Romans 6.23. But the gift of God 
is eternal life through Jesus Christ. See, you don't have to die in your sins. You don't have to hope that you're going to go to heaven someday. You can know. And here's how. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 10, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, I wonder in your heart, if you know that you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, you've never made that decision. You're trying to live your life your way. You think by being a good person or giving money to a church or a charity, something like that would be good enough to merit you to go to heaven someday. But Jesus said, I am the way. There's no other way to get to heaven but through the door, and Jesus is the door to heaven. And so if you're here this morning and you've never trusted the Lord as your Savior, in the stillness of this moment, I wonder if you would just pray this simple prayer just between you and God, something like this, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and be my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. With our heads still bowed and our eyes